0: there, and welcome to In My Words, Jumo's podcast series that brings the experiences of real patients directly to you. At Jumo, we provide resources for children and families to understand, manage, and own their health. Sign up for free at JumoHealth.com.
1: Hi there, this is Christy in Melbourne, Australia. Here we are with our third episode on multiple sclerosis. For the listeners who are joining us for the first time, welcome. We've been talking with Adriana, an advocate for people with MS, Belinda Bardsley, an MS nurse, and the current president of the MS Nurses of Australasia Network, and Dr. Mike Boggold, a consultant neurologist in Townsville in North Queensland. In today's episode, we'll be talking about managing MS, Treatment for MS has come a long way in the past 20 years, and this is excellent news for people living with the condition. Today, we'll be learning about what treatments and supportive therapies are available to people with MS and how treatment decisions are made. Both patients and healthcare professionals actively participate in treatment decisions when it comes to managing MS. To start, Dr. Boggold, could you talk about your approach to making decisions about treating with your patients?
2: When I'm first assessing a new patient with MS, there's a range of factors that I'm considering. I want to get a sense of where they are in their disease. What's the disease duration? What's the nature of the relapses they've experienced? How well have they recovered from those relapses? What does the MRI tell me about their disease? All of these factors individually tell us something about the prognosis of the condition. Albeit, we still have difficulty even integrating those factors in predicting for an individual patient. But clearly, if we're going to be talking about the risks and benefits of treatment, we want to try and establish as best we can where that patient is in the disease and what we think the risk the disease presents to them in making decisions about therapy. As our experience with treatments has increased over the last 15 to 20 years, it's become clear that if we are going to treat a patient, it's important to treat early, both in terms of making the diagnosis early and identifying those patients whose disease is such that they do need treatment. This can be very difficult in the early stages, knowing that the prognosis is highly variable. There are clearly still some patients with mild disease where one might be comfortable to watch, wait and monitor rather than initiate a treatment. But for most patients with relapsing-emitting MS, once we've established a diagnosis and there is active inflammatory disease, it is imperative that a discussion takes place about starting treatment.
1: Thank you, Dr. Boggold. Adriana, can you tell us about your experience with the treatment decision-making process?
3: I was diagnosed in December, and then, so it was Christmas, me and my husband or my boyfriend were going away for New Year's. So I decided that once I got back, that's when I would start the medication. So it was almost a month. My doctor gave me some options um, in in terms of medications that would be right for where I was at with my illness and then from there I basically just did my research. I contacted those types of medication and I was sent uh, information packs and I was also contacted by I think their support people just to talk about questions and things like that that obviously I wouldn't have been able to answer. Um, I also went on to the MS Connect website and they also had brief outlining of a fair few medications that were available um, and I just went from there to make my informed decision. Again you know there's information and things like that on Google but I just tended to just go to the source and then ask my doctor questions about each one before making a decision. To start with, I was given the option of the injectables, the treatments that required you to self inject. So I decided on one at the time that had the least side effects. I'm like, I'm always gonna feel sick. So for me, not feeling sick at all was a bonus. So I chose one that had more of it, more frequency. I'd have to do the injections daily, as opposed to weekly or fortnightly or whatever they were. So I did that one for a year. I had a nurse come over and teach me how to inject. It was daunting. But I was like, if this is what I have to do to stay well, then block all that out and do it. And in the beginning, my husband had to do it for me, which was worse. <laughs> so I decided that the only way I could do this is if I did it to myself. And, you know, I, you just get over it. Just suck it up and you got to do it. I mean, the alternative was, for me, was a lot worse than if I didn't do it. Once I had a relapse, we did the next step in medications. Again, my doctor gave me a choice of drugs at the time that he thought were best for where I was at with my disease. And again, I went away and decided on my own which I would prefer. And I ended up going with a monthly infusion. And I've been on that one um, for the last four years. On and off though, because I obviously had to stop whilst trying to get pregnant and now I'm back on it. Adriana touched on the fact that there is a choice of treatments
1: available to patients with MS. Let's hear more about available treatment options from our healthcare professionals.
2: I consider myself really very fortunate to have lived through a period of remarkable change in terms of the management of MS. When I first started practicing in this area over 20 years ago now, really options for patients were very limited. I can just about remember the year before any treatment for patients with MS. We now, in 2018, have over a dozen different therapies available to us with a range of efficacies and side effects which allow us, hopefully, to fit the right treatment to the right patient and obviously allow patients a number of potential options if an individual therapy doesn't suit them or doesn't work for them. The range of therapies available to treat patients with multiple sclerosis has evolved substantially over the last 20 years. Initially, we had a group of injectable therapies which are proven to be very well tolerated by patients long-term and safe. However, for many patients, were not sufficiently efficacious, and we've subsequently seen the availability of a range of oral therapies with perhaps greater efficacy, and in more recent years, a group of what are called monoclonal antibody therapies given by infusion which offer high efficacy in terms of relapses and MRI activity but also bring with them a range of issues around side effects which have to be carefully considered with an individual patient based on their disease course uh, and their preferences in terms of risks and benefits. The developments in treatment for multiple sclerosis that we've discussed have really largely been in the area of relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis uh, were, treatment efficacy has escalated markedly over the last 15 to 20 years. Progressive disease has proven much more difficult to treat, but in the last two or three years we are beginning to see the first positive trials in this area and my expectation will be that over the next 15 to 20 years this will be the new development, possibly. In stages, as we've seen in relapsing MS, we will see gradual improvements in the outcomes for these patients, possibly with combinations of treatment, and this clearly is the next holy grail of MS treatment.
4: So we're very, very blessed here in Australia that we have all of those options available to people with relapsing remitting MS, and people can select the, the choice, really, that, that suits them. This is a little unusual from other illnesses where usually the drug is selected for the patient, with MS, we really do allow people usually to sort of select the drug that they feel is going to suit them and their lifestyle because we feel that this is a chronic sort of lifelong disease. We, we're happy usually for them to pretty much be in charge of their own treatment decision,
1: you know, with
4: some sort of limitations because we would we tend to sort of guide them towards maybe a high-efficacy drug if we're concerned about the prognosis of their disease, for example. And this is where... That therapeutic sort of partnership that we have with the patient is really important. The MS nurse and neurologist and the patient all helping to come up with their treatment decision that they feel that they can adhere to. And then we go with that option. And then if it doesn't work for whatever reason, if it's not holding their disease at bay or if they're struggling with any side effects or if there are any concerns, we're fortunate to be able to switch to something else.
1: The availability of effective treatment options for MS is great news for patients like Adriana with relapsing-remitting MS. We've heard that when starting treatment earlier is often best. This can help slow the progression of the disease. It's important to remember that treatment can be associated with side effects, so patients need to be made aware to look out for these and know what to do if they have any concerns.
2: All of the treatments available for multiple sclerosis exert their effects in variable ways through trying to influence the immune system and to a degree damp down the effect of the immune system on the central nervous system. When one alters immune function there is always a risk that there may be adverse effects associated with that. Commonly infection would be a concern. And this varies from individual therapy, depending on the mechanism of action, and also to a degree, the mechanism of delivery. So, for example, the injectable therapies often were associated with injection site reactions, relatively minor but problematic for patients long term. With some of our more efficacious therapies, there are greater concerns, both with regard to infection risk, but also for individual therapies, for example, with other autoimmune diseases. So each therapy has to be considered and monitored carefully in its own right, with specific guidelines for each therapy. If a patient is concerned that they may be developing side effects from a medication they're taking for their MS, then clearly they should be discussing this directly, ideally with their MS nurse or their neurologist. With due respect, general practitioners are not going to be particularly familiar with most of the therapies that we're now using in multiple sclerosis, and I think it's imperative therefore that if concerns are raised, they're discussed directly with the people who are familiar with the drugs that we're using.
1: As we've heard, patients have access to several treatment options and, guided by their healthcare team, may choose a treatment that fits with their preferences and lifestyle. Due to the chronic nature of MS and the need for lifelong therapy, patient monitoring is an important part of disease management. In addition to regular follow-up visits and blood tests, patients will periodically have MRI scans to look at disease activity in their brain and spinal cord.
2: The availability of MRI and the ability to see the pathology of MS in the brain and spine has clearly revolutionised both our ability to diagnose the disease and to diagnose it earlier, but also to monitor the disease, and that's become increasingly important as we're looking at the range of treatments available. So what we can see on those monitoring MRIs are occasional new lesions occurring, for example, in a patient on treatment, and they should trigger conversations about whether treatment needs to be changed or escalated. It's interesting to note that for every relapse that occurs, there may actually be five or six asymptomatic lesions that will occur within the nervous system, which don't produce any symptoms at all. So MRI is a key way of measuring that sort of disease activity when it's not being controlled by current treatment. So MRI has a role not just in making the diagnosis, but also in monitoring disease activity and specifically response to treatment.
3: Yeah, so I do have regular MRIs. I was having them every six months of my brain and spinal cord. And now we're just doing it once a year. I get, unless something out of the ordinary comes up, I'm not feeling well, you know, I'm experiencing a new symptom then I'll have it earlier than that 12 months. Other tests include just routine blood tests, which I get every six months, just to make sure everything's doing what it should be. And then the special test for the medication just to make sure that nothing becomes present in those tests. So my neurologist I see every six months and I try to go see my GP for any reason. If there's no reason, I try to go every three months just to have a checkup, like a routine checkup, just talk about things. Uh, I just think keeping on top of that, being regular with all my doctors, Just make sure you don't miss anything because sometimes your general health can be mistaken for MS or vice versa. So I just try to make sure that my general health is up to scratch because the last thing you want, which has happened in the past, is I just assume it's my MS and I go on thinking that for a little bit before I you know, do something and then I go see the doctor and they're like, yeah, it's just this. And you're like, oh, okay, why did I worry about that? So just try and stay on top of it.
2: Fortunately, most of the patients that we diagnose with multiple sclerosis don't have any other major medical conditions. Inevitably, however, MS doesn't protect you from developing other disorders like hypertension or cardiovascular disease as patients get older, and clearly it's imperative that those diseases are well-managed. There is a tendency to focus on the one chronic condition and for other conditions and routine screening tests, for example, not to be followed through in patients because they have MS and these other things get forgotten. So I'd always encourage people to have a good relationship with their GP and to follow through on all the routine health testing that patients without a chronic disease might undertake. As far as having comorbidities or multiple conditions, obviously it's important that we're sure that the treatments that we're utilising for one condition are not adversely affecting another and that there aren't interactions between medications and one should always raise with general practitioners or other specialists the MS diagnosis and whatever treatment is being taken to make sure that this is always being considered.
4: I think it's very common for people with MS to, for everything to be yeah blamed on the MS. and so. Particularly musculoskeletal problems, so back problems, neck problems, um, carpal tunnel, those sorts of issues are very commonly just put down to the MS. So it, it is very important that we we don't lose sight of the possibility that that these are musculoskeletal issues. Uh, and and I always say to patients, you must have a GP that you're very happy with that, that is very thorough and is very good. You have a chronic disease, and, it, and it's a partnership. So we. We have a therapeutic partnership with our patients. You have the MS nurse, the neurologist and the patient. It's a very important team that we're working with. But your GP is part of that team as well. And so if you don't feel confident with your GP, you you must find someone that you do feel confident with that doesn't dismiss these issues as all being MS-related because they need to investigate things that, that could well not be anything to do with MS. And often our neurologists are handling things that are actually probably better placed in the GP domain and they're they're doing lumbar spine MRIs to exclude you know a a disc related issue often. So I think those sorts of things often get put down to MS uh, when they're not.
1: It's normal for patients with MS to worry about their health. Sometimes it turns out there is nothing at all to be worried about. Other times patients may have issues that turn out to be unrelated to MS but that need to be dealt with and properly managed. There may also be times when a new symptom or a worsening of a current symptom turns out to be a relapse.
2: Relapses in MS can take many forms. In general, the onset is gradual, subacute, over a few days, and clearly depends upon which area of the nervous system is involved. Common relapses would include optic neuritis, where someone may develop Pain on eye movement and gradual loss of vision or blurring of central vision. Episodes of spinal cord inflammation, which can include sensory disturbance, weakness, sometimes change in bladder function. And then there are brainstem events, which may involve balance problems, double vision incoordination. coordination. However, if in doubt, a patient should ask. Fortunately, in 2018, with many of our patients on effective treatment, relapses have actually become much less frequent and I rarely see a patient now with a severe relapse and that's clearly good news for all concerned. Having said that, if a relapse occurs, clearly our assessment depends upon what the nature of that relapse, what impact is it having for the patient. There's actually no evidence that treatments, particularly intravenous steroids, actually change the outcome of a relapse, therefore we don't treat every relapse but we treat dependent upon the impact of that relapse. So if someone has a visual episode which is impairing them driving or working, then clearly giving steroids to try and accelerate recovery is important. And if someone has a particularly severe relapse, there's evidence to use not just steroids, but also consider treatments such as plasma exchange to to again accelerate and hopefully improve outcome from that relapse.
1: As we've heard, effective treatment can help control MS. But for patients who have problematic day-to-day symptoms that impact their lives, supportive therapies like counselling, physiotherapy and occupational therapy can be very helpful too.
4: Counselling is incredibly important to people newly diagnosed. Even if they feel like they're travelling beautifully with the news and they feel like it's all okay, I suspect that deep down they're actually probably really struggling with that diagnosis. I think that's really important. I think if there's any loss of power, strength or coordination, that a neurophysiotherapist or a physiotherapist is very important to get involved. Any degree of loss of sensation or coordination or strength in their fingers, I think an OT would be really useful, or a hand therapist.
2: Managing MS is arguably a team sport. It doesn't just involve neurologists and MS nurses and MS patients. but There are a range of other professionals that contribute to overall well-being. This may include physiotherapists, occupational therapists, speech and language therapists, dieticians, ophthalmologists. Every individual patient has their own complex of symptoms and will potentially benefit from a range of other interventions and access to a good multidisciplinary team if that's available in your area it's clearly one of the key components of good overall ms management
3: so i actually do have other supportive therapies that i use so i have a personal trainer who helps me with my fitness she runs mums and bubs class where there's all other mums there and then i also see her once a week on my own just to tailor a program for me I have an OT, so I have an occupational therapist, as I'm still in the workforce, and that was something when I got in touch with MS Connect, I just discussed where I was at in life and MS, and they kind of threw out some supportive things that you can do with them, and occupational therapist was one and they helped me with staying employed and now that I have my business, they've helped me set up my home office and things. So they've given me tools to be able to stay in the workforce, which has been really, really amazing and helpful. And not a lot of people know that. Yeah, apart from that, so I see my acupuncture guy. So he's like Chinese medicine and he helps me with say some of the herbs and vitamins and things like that. And for him, he's more of my overall well-being. Um, like my general well-being and assist with some sensory things it helps like it's a good complement to my western medicine that i do so they're the main things that i dabble in i should say and yeah, my my support team
1: dr boggled what advice do you give your patients when it comes to disease management
2: when i first diagnose a patient with ms clearly i'm looking at potentially a long-term relationship with that patient who hopefully will be under my care for many years to come. And it's hugely important to me that the patient's engaged in the management of their condition, doesn't put the responsibility onto somebody else to look after them. So I'm very keen that patients take an active role in their management, and that means understanding the disease, understanding the options available to them in terms of treatment, and becoming an active participant in their management. And that can involve lifestyle changes, it can involve Uh, interactions with allied health staff, and obviously also their engagement with treatment. MS is obviously a lifelong disease, and for patients who've had the disease for many years, it can be difficult to maintain the motivation to be engaged in their management, whether that be in terms of looking after their diet, exercise, or overall well-being. And I think it's imperative that we're encouraging that as clinicians in terms of our interactions with Patients, I think patients need to keep up to date with developments and treatment, both of the disease and the symptoms. Uh, As our understanding uh, increases, I think there will be changes that will be relevant, not just to the newly diagnosed patients, but clearly also to those patients with more established uh,
1: disease. Thank you for sharing your valuable advice, Dr. Boggold. Adriana, do you have any self-management strategies that you use that you'd like to share with our listeners?
3: So, I like to stay organised for me time management now that i have kids is a big thing i don't have a lot of time to do things that i want to do and the last thing that i want to do is stress over those things because for me stress is a trigger for me not feeling well it's not a trigger for me to relapse or anything but it's a trigger for me to have a bad day i get really tired easily it's not really a lot you can do when you're a mum. But if you manage your time well and get things that are important done when you need to and leave the other things for another time, then for me, I'm able to balance out my day.
1: Overall, what has been helpful in the management of your MS?
3: A whole range of things have been helpful um, managing my MS. It gets put down to my team of doctors and health specialists and things like that. And then the things that I've chosen to do on my own, I've put a lot of effort into that staying fit and active and living a healthy lifestyle so you know when I say that it's not like I don't go out and eat takeaway or have a wine on the weekends like I still do everything within reason and balanced very balanced I think if you take away all the fun things and all the nice things to eat or all the this you're taking away some of your enjoyment in life and for me enjoying my life is a a major thing so I'm not going to not do all these things just to live a very, very healthy life but not enjoy it, if that makes sense. So I think balance is key to managing my life. When I'm having a bad day or if I'm really, really busy and I know I've got a lot coming up, I just take time to just rest and prioritise like things that are important that need to be done and whatnot just so I can make it to that you know, wedding or a weekend away with family and things like that. So I just try to manage how I'm feeling And if that means I have to cancel spending time with friends or, you know, doing something just for the long term, so to get to next week type thing, then I will. I really put my health first. And now that I've got kids, I have to do that even more so because they rely on me. There's nothing wrong with being selfish sometimes. Like, you're not being selfish, like, oh, I can't do that because I'm It's just for yourself, you need to learn to say no. And it's okay. Like, you're not you don't have to say yes to everything you're not super you're not super human you can't do everything you just got to work out what you can do and what your body can tolerate you are able to continue doing all the things that you like that's probably yeah that's probably one of the biggest questions that i get there when people are like oh i've got ms now you know i can't do this this and this because i'm sick i'm like no you can still do everything that you used to do you just need to monitor how you're feeling manage your symptoms and then control your life. Basically, that's what my doctor must have been talking about that because that's how I've interpreted it. And that's what has made me be able to have the life I live. I don't think I've missed out on anything. And that was a big thing for me because that's what I thought was gonna happen. My life was over. I was not going to have an enjoyable life because I'd be just too sick to do anything. And yeah, I've worked really hard at staying healthy, the medications, the things that I do, but like the health things that I do, but it's my mindset, I think. If you tell yourself you can't do anything, then you won't do it. So that's why I tell myself I can do it and watch me. I do do it. Living with a chronic illness like
1: MS can be hard work, but fortunately people with MS have access to a choice of therapies to help them manage their MS and live as well as possible for their unique circumstances. As we've learned, effective medical treatment and supportive therapies such as massage, physiotherapy, occupational therapy, and mental health support are strategies one can use to control and manage their MS. As we've seen from Adriana's experience through managing her illness, with the help of her support team, she's been able to take control of her life and do everything she sets her mind to. If you are searching for advice on how to manage your MS, contact your healthcare professional team You can also contact MS Australia, which offers advice and services to people living with MS. We'd like to thank the lovely Adriana for sharing with us her experiences and MS nurse Belinda Bardsley and Dr. Mike Boggold for their professional insight and guidance. Next time on In My Words, we'll be talking about MS and health and lifestyle. Stay tuned. We produce this podcast using excerpts from interviews with Adriana, Belinda Bardsley and Dr. Mike Boggold. You can watch a day in the life of Adriana in her In My Shoes video. The link to the video can be found in the show notes. This episode has kindly been supported by MS Australia and sponsored by Roche Pharmaceuticals Australia, material number 37562681 and prepared in May 2018.
0: Thanks for listening. Interested in hearing something special or want us to help share your story? Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. The health information contained in this podcast is provided for educational purposes only and is not intended to replace discussions with a healthcare provider. In My Words is produced in New York City and distributed worldwide. In my words, a Jumo production.